0: So good morning, folks. Um, as you have heard, my name's David. I'm joined by my son, James, this morning, whose um, job is to smile at me um, <laughs> and, uh, at every moment. Um, but I want to start with this. Um, I don't, you may have seen it. It's a chap called Admiral McRaven, and he's a former US Navy SEAL. And he would say that if you want to get on uh, in your day, in your life, if you want to accomplish something, then you need to start by making your bed. So I'm going to embarrass some of you this morning by a show of hands. Put your hand up if you made your own bed this morning. That's pretty good actually. There's a few couples who are going, no, I made it, it wasn't you. Um, But I have to say, you've lived up to my expectation, nine o'clock, that you would be bed makers. (laughs) I'm fearful for the 10.15. Admiral MacRaven would say, "What is the first task done? A small moment of pride that leads into the day." And he makes a thesis um, on that: the start is important. And he says, "If by chance you have a miserable day, then you come home to a bed that is made, made by you, and you get to enjoy the comfort of that." The point, of course, is that where we start our day perhaps more deeply, where we start in terms of the attitude of our heart really matters. And if I look at myself, and perhaps you too, I fear that I do not start in the best of places often. But as I look at myself, I often start with shame, with a feeling that I need to do something to make amends for myself, or to prove myself worthy. I often start disappointed in myself. I start as somebody who's wounded, battered, poor, cursed, even. Our passage today speaks of a different way, a better. Place to start. And it's an interesting passage. It's a bit of a hinge or crossover passage uh, in terms of the book of Hebrews. So, everything up to here, up to chapter seven, and feeding into this is about Jesus being the great high priest, about operating these heavenly realms that are accessible and open to us now. And that all leads up to here. And then from there, in terms of chapter nine onwards, we see this new covenant, this new reality the full complete switch, exchange of identity that has been bought for us by Jesus and, and that's unpacked in the in the chapters to come. So let's read the passage today, Hebrews 8, um, with all of this in mind. Now the main point of what we're saying is this, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They served a sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned, when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. If there'd been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault and said to the people, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people." No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling the covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was growing up, there was a guy down the road who had a sabutio set. I don't know if you remember these, a little piece of green that you put out to represent the football pitch and little figures that sort of rolled around. And you used to ping them um, at each other and try and score the goals. And I always thought it was completely stupid. Um, and that was because I was one of the three boys in Glasgow that didn't like football. Um, it was a, we were a rare breed. Um, I remember this one time when um, another friend, he was from Edinburgh, supported Hearts, and he was coming over to see Celtic. Hearts, they were at Hampden Park at the time because Celtic were having Celtic Park done up. And um, he said, "Do you want to come?" So we went along, and we were there in the in the stand. And of course, it's you know the Hearts fans is this little tiny wedge at the side. The Celtic fans are all these people. There's a gap between the fans. As far as I could tell, it was about as far as a A grown man could throw a bottle. That's what it looked like to me. Pretty frisky thing, a football match in Glasgow. And so we're there in the hearts, fans. By any standard of imagination, this was a boring football match. It was 1-0 Celtic, and it was scored at the other end of the park from us. So we couldn't even see the goal. But I will tell you this. It is one of the most exciting experiences I've ever had in my life. It was sensational we were up out of our seats you know possession passing that was a good move incredible the sound in the place the famous Hamden roar unbelievable genuinely a brilliant experience not a patch on the old sabutio the old temple the old tabernacle is Sabutio to the Hamden Park of the New Realm? It's a copy, it is a shadow, our passage says, and it is. The Old Temple is an interesting thing, really. I mean, it, 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 it's good and it has structures which tell us very important things. It does speak of guilt. It speaks of the need for sacrifice. It speaks of division. But this is the truth we hold on to, folks. That the coming of Jesus sweeps away all barriers between God and penitent man. All distinctions are obliterated. Verse 11 says, we, we all get to know God. From the least of us to the greatest. We all. Now that lovely significant moment, isn't there, when Jesus dies on the cross. And it says the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. The hands of God pulled it apart. And the way is now open for us for immediate and full access to God. It's not something far away though. It's easy to think of the heavenly realm as being ethereal and far away. But it isn't. In some mysterious reality this is something that is near for us. That's why Ephesians 2.6 says we are seated. Past tense. Seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is possible for us. Yet, so often I default with God, with my day, to starting with shame, with needing to do something, with standing away, unworthy. But that's old thinking. That's what our passage tells us. That's old thinking. I'm playing temple you. There is a new realm. There is a reality where the roar is, if possible, greater than at Hamden. The way is freely open and we are welcome. We are so welcome in this place. Let us hear this again. We are so welcome there. Our passage talks of Jesus serving in this new realm. What is he doing? If you go elsewhere in the scripture, of course, we find Romans 8. He's interceding by the Father. He's pleading for us. He's for us. He's pleading for us by the Father. But sometimes then we jump into the thing that, you know, what is the Father's attitude? Like he needs to be persuaded. Jesus is twisting his arm. He's got him in a headlock trying to get him to sort of do some great things for us. No, Jesus is praying beautiful, godly, would he do anything else, prayers to God the Father whose heart is utterly open to us. He was the author of this. The whole scheme of love that is our faith was born out of the Father's loving heart. I love John sixteen twenty seven In the old language it says, the Father loveth thee. Isn't that beautiful? Perhaps if you hear it, nothing else this morning, just hear that, the Father thee loveth thee. And of course, more than any of this, the Spirit has been given, what a gift, to be here. To help us and be with us forever. Folks, we can and should start our days here. This is the new realm that chapters one to seven have been talking about and, and here starts to blend with what chapters nine onwards talk about. The new truth, the new covenant, a new reality for us. Well, if you come with me this far, if any of us have come this far, and we can say, well, okay, the heavenly realms are different. We can sometimes feel a little bit like we're walking in like a ragged, dirty person, dragging mud through those glorious halls of heaven. The pristine halls have got drips and globs of dirt that we're leaving there. But this is not true either. I remember for me... um, the season in life when the penny dropped on those lines from that great Edward Mote hymn, um, you know, the one, my hope is built on nothing less. We never sing it now because Hillsong did a modern version, so we always sing that. I love the old version. <laughs> I will confess to you you here, I love that old version. And it has these lines, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand to stand before the throne, and I remember that season where the penny dropped from me. And I knew, I knew deep in my heart that I stood before the Lord every morning, dressed as it were in white. I have made an unfortunate wardrobe choice this morning, seemed to have dressed myself in black, <laughs> I do apologise for that, next time I will borrow Martin Bell's suit. Um, But in that moment, realizing I was dressed in white before God, and significantly, there is nothing I could do that day or anyone else could do to me that would change that. I would stand before God at the end of that day dressed utterly in white. This is the truth. This is the truth that the offering of Jesus brings us. Jesus' offering in verse three, what is it? Of course, it's the cross. The cross, that complete, full, and here's important folks, nothing left to do exchange. Doesn't win a lot for us, it wins all for us. We stand dressed in utter white. Derek Prince, the great preacher, gives a nice summary um, of this, of all that was achieved for us. I want to read it to you now. And and as you listen, perhaps you might like to close your eyes. I want to imagine yourself standing dressed in clear, pure white in the heavenly realms. Here is the exchange, the gift that Jesus gave for you. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. He was wounded that we might be healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might become righteous with his righteousness. Jesus died our death that we may share his life. He became poor with our poverty that we may become rich With his riches. Jesus bore our shame. That we may share his glory. He endured a rejection. That we may have his acceptance before God as children. Jesus became a curse. That we may receive blessing upon blessing. As you make your bed every morning, Admiral McRaven style, may you start your day standing in the heavenly realms, dressed in utter white. This is how we can and should live. It is the perpetual gift of God to us. Amen.